1: By now, you know that sound. It's the sound of the Home Depot. But what about those sounds? Those are the sounds of an LG wash tower with ultra-large capacity, serving up a powerful yet gentle clean in just 29 minutes. Making this the sound of savings on the best appliance brands. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Get up to 25% off the LG wash tower with ultra large capacity and reduced wash time. Pricing valid January 5th through January 25th, 2023. Gas Director, US only. See store online for details.
2: You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ2. <coughs>
3: welcome to rock and roll heaven the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers and deaths of famous musicians i am your host ld along with me for the ride as always is tj 2 the deuce crisp that was a little early too
4: uh, uh, um, there
3: we go
4: <laughs> i don't even know oh, sorry
3: <laughs> all right and then we have wait what are you drinking
5: i actually uh don't have any beer so uh it was down to either a hard cider or hard liquor and uh it's a work night, so I the former.
3: <laughs> a wise decision. Fair enough. Yes. And then we have Mr. Will the Thrill Hickey. Greetings and salutations. And you have something shiny and amber-like on your in, on your paw. Uh, what is that? I am drinking a glass
6: of mead.
3: Yeah, mead. Fancy. I-
6: it's, it's been a week
3: it's it's the king's drink so there you go i'm enjoying it thank you everyone. so lucky us again i don't think that we have anyone that passed this last week mm. um none that i saw none that i saw uh so i guess uh, we'll fill this time by talking about how excited i am that they're doing a spinoff series on so i married an axe murderer it's pretty awesome
5: <laughs> which mike myers nancy travis and the three of us saw <laughs>
3: And Anthony LaPaglia, let's
5: be fair. Okay, it was, but it's, uh, I love that movie. Oh, it's fantastic. So
3: much, love it so, so much. If you'll remember, we had about a
5: 15-minute interlude during one of our Keith Moon episodes where we just sat and quoted, So I
3: Married an Axe (laughs) murderer back and forth. I don't know if that made it into the episode or not, but God bless that.
6: Um, I I think it it. did. No, I think you left it. (laughs) I, I will say, though, I struggle to think of a movie I enjoy that much that has such a flop of a third act mm-hmm. I mean really because by the time you get to the reveal it's just it's not good
3: yeah there's like one shot in there where she throws the axe yes and he's on the the roof mm-hmm. and he's like Arr! it's and ridiculous that's yeah.
4: like the highlight of it so the rest
3: of the movie's gold the Core rest gold. of it's amazing but that's so good and that I, I you know I point is that as the Nexus like the moment of um his Mike Myers uh, creation of like eight of his characters yeah they all come from that movie they all come from that like shrek came from that movie
5: fat bastard came from that movie too yeah yeah
3: yeah. yes he did yeah it did yep and then i know my brother will have absolutely no idea what we're talking about but i'm super excited because tomorrow is going to be another episode of loki yes fine show
6: fine show on the disney plus network
3: yes if you're watching it uh i want to be a variant well you you enjoy that actor quite a bit tom hiddleston is so pretty I love his like he had me at that evil smile the first time you see him, and he like l- he's looking down and then he looks up and he's got that smile and so says, like, how's it going, sir?"
6: What he did that was so great is in a movie that's just honestly an orgy of celebrities and superheroes, he does manage to stand out. he's yeah, which
3: is quite impressive. Yeah, my brother has nothing to add to this. I already know this. I, um
6: I prefer T. J. Hooker. <laughs>
3: At least you don't prefer T.J. Miller, because that guy's problematic. Yeah, he's probably in jail. <laughs> Can
6: I say that and not get sued?
3: Uh, but he's probably not in jail. Yeah, we at Rock, like which... <laughs> <we here laughs> Rock and Roll Heaven would uh, like to go ahead and offer the claimer. We don't know if T.J. Miller yes, is in prison or not. This is
6: strictly speculation.
3: <laughs> the network
6: does not share my views or my <clears> suspected <throat> views on that
3: personality. Uh, so anyway, today we're going to be talking about Dusty Springfield. Yes. Now... Yeah. Here's the thing, guys. You probably know her name. Mm-hmm. You probably know a couple of her songs. I guarantee you, you don't know her story. Got that right. Yeah. You, so why is she on the heavy hitters? It's going to take us three episodes to explain why she's on the heavy hitters. She is probably one of the most badass women mm-hmm. that has ever been covered on the show.
6: And she also has that musical career where the names that come up are just going to be bonkers, right? Yeah.
4: Oh, everybody. yeah. Yeah.
5: Yep. And I, uh, I kind of like these kind of series because um, if you think about the ones we've done so far in this, we did Eddie Van Halen and Adam Yauch and David Bowie and Rick James, bitch, and mm. um, Whitney Houston. I mean, those are people whose music we grew up with. We, I mean, we certainly discovered new things about them from doing our research, but we knew a lot about them. I know who Dusty Springfield is. I know some of her music. I know a little bit about her life stuff that came out later in her life, or maybe even after she passed away. I don't remember exactly, Mm -hmm. but but I'm kind of a blank slate on her, so this is kind of a learning experience. So that I kind of I kind of dig these, and we have we haven't uh, because of the nature of this series, we haven't really had the opportunity to do one like this in a little while
4: yeah
3: yeah well i'm gonna start off right away with something that will did not know at all <laughs> she is british i hadn't a clue not a
5: clue. really yeah i did know that i did know she was british yeah
3: yeah i was
6: gonna say she's from like michigan or something i would have been
3: <laughs> so off yeah uh no she she's british and here's the thing she's from the mother country
7: Gavna
5: and the best part is that this gives us the opportunity to bring back our terrible british accent and they are terrible (laughs) they are they are putrid
3: they are the worst so uh (laughs) go ahead and tell you guys uh we hear rock and roll heaven apologize (laughs) to all british people or anyone that can actually do a good accent
6: yes they're horribly offended by us
3: so start off dusty springfield was born okay gird your loins kids Her name was Mary Isabel Catherine Bernadette O'Brien. She could only be from one country. (laughs) There's only one. She was born on April 16th, 1939 in West Hampstead. The second child of people with way too many names as well. Uh, So she was born to... Gerald Anthony Obie O'Brien and Catherine Ann K. O'Brien, both of Irish descent. Her, her eldest brother was Dionysus P. A. O'Brien, and he would change his name to Tom. So they had a number of nomenclatures. <laughs> How do you get
6: Dionysus? I just, does that like, we're going to shake things up? It's it
3: spelled D I O N Y. S I U S Dionysius Dionysius Dionysus Dionysius. Yeah, Di- it's we're gonna call him Dion or Dion for the or for or the, Tom. What you know, say, Dino? <laughs> Dino, oh, nice. Dino, uh, her father had actually been raised in British India, working as a tax accountant and a consultant. And her mother came from an Irish family, originally from County Kerry, which included a number of journalists. So Uh, She had a lot of numbers and letters in her life very early on. Uh, She was born, actually, just a couple months before the start of World War II, and her parents actually had married late in life, and since London was being hit by the bombing raids from Hitler's Luftwaffe. Luftwaffe. Luftwaffe.
6: You'll
4: get there. All right.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Luftwaffe. They decided that it would be safer to move out. So uh, for the next couple of years, the couple brought up their two children in... High Wycombe, Buckinghamshire, a market town. Although the children could run fairly freely, the neighbors always complained that the family never cut their grass. And soon the family got bored of life in the country, but didn't want to exactly move into a big city like London again. So the war had been over for about five years, but they were against putting their children back into the heart of an urban environment. And so they actually moved to Kent Gardens in Ealing. Now, on the surface, the O'Briens were perfect for Ealing. Gerard had been brought up in India, so he had enjoyed a lifestyle that the British had. The British had gotten used to during the days of the Raj. Now, I tried to look up a definition for what the Raj actually was, but there's no simple definition. The best way I can tell you is that it was when India was under British rule, and I know that they, the, the, the Indian population fought against british rule. So everybody did. Yeah. So I don't think it was like a great time for India. Uh I do want to educate myself a little bit more. You
5: know who did it first? Us. Yeah. <sighs> Suck it, <King> yeah. man.
3: <laughs> now Catherine had come from Ireland from a Kerry family that was a line of journalists along with his forebears and mary and dion dionysius dianite mary but well you know what it's gonna be mary it's mary and dion dion are going to be dusty and tom soon enough so if you hear mary or dion just know it's tom and dusty it becomes much more clearer after she actually changes her name because even before she becomes dusty she becomes somebody else so because she doesn't have enough names (laughs) So on school days, the kids would listen to a large valve radio that was in the kitchen as they did their homework, uh, or her brother would set up an amateur radio connection and he and Mary would broadcast through to the next room. Now, in Britain, most people didn't get a TV until the Queen's coronation in 1953 and the O'Briens were no different. That's why they
6: bought the TV, correct?
3: La- yeah, right. that was one of the, the big things that actually spurred the purchase of TVs in Britain. So her coronation was actually on the forefront of this big electric industrial revolution thing. Because that's actually mentioned
6: in a book about another subject whose name I will withhold for at risk of angering LD. You
3: know I know who it is. (laughs) You bought me the book to be fair. I did not buy it. There's no paper trail. (laughs) Meanwhile beneath the surface the O'Briens life was not quite like that of their middle-class neighbors. Dusty recalls that it seemed at Kent Gardens as the local Catholic priest kind of lives semi-permanently in their house. Obi and Kay and the priest seemed to be having a grand time, so much so that there would later be a conjecture about what exactly was in the teacup that Kay always had in her hand.
6: I'm guessing it rhymes with Kiski.
3: <laughs> or Herbond? Yeah. <laughs>
6: that's uh that's weird (laughs) (laughs) i just been honest highly highly regular
3: uh it's you know what it's uh okay so the book that i was reading which i referenced later on is i think it's called dancing with demons which is the authorized the springfield biography and it really didn't make a conjecture about what his purpose was there the priest yeah the priest so you know I, i can't speculate as to why he was constantly here but hey they always had a priest there so in case uh you needed an exorcist the key was right there dusty always said that it was like living in the actual show father ted which was apparently a 1990s british tv comedy about a show that featured a trio of crazy irish priests and not all of them are entirely sober more oddly mealtimes would be fraught and bizarrely chaotic now i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna bring this up because it's important later often in their home a simple request to pass the potatoes would be seen as an act of war i'll put it that way so Kay had an issue with her anger and so if you ask her something like pass the potatoes the potatoes usually ended up on the wall or you or the floor if you pa- you know, if you ask for any other kind of food, salt would get flung at your head. This was a thing with Kay. She would spend an entire day making the perfect truffle. <laughs> and then it would take hours. And then at the end of it, she would just beat it with her fists.
6: Sounds counterproductive.
3: Yeah. It was like a f- it was weird. Uh she- it was just like a thing that she did. She would just pick up her food and throw it at people or things so i'm sure there's like a psychological disorder for that i just don't know what it is yeah and this will pay off later i promise in fact i'll actually give you a hint years later in hollywood dusty was incensed that a friend had brought over cooking brandy <laughs> instead of five star which i guess is a brand of of brandy uh, to put into her stew and so she actually picked up the entire contents of the pot and threw it at the wall that's dedication right there this is this is not the last time dusty will be throwing food (laughs) okay yeah Uh, on occasion meals would actually pass surprisingly uneventful nobody can remember why these things happened but it made mary and dion growing up thinking that throwing food was just something that people did (laughs) now dusty did grow up a bit of a tomboy she was nicknamed dusty for playing football with the boys in the street is that the European football or the American? I assume football, football, like soccer, football. Okay, okay. But she actually wouldn't formally take on that name for a couple years. At this point in her life, Dusty considered herself a very nondescript sort of girl. Like her brother, she was educated in a series of single-sex Catholic schools and did not seem to really have any academic aspirations. St. Anne's school was populated mainly by the daughters of the Second World War immigrants and families from Ireland who had come to London in search of work. Uh, so because of her upbringing, she actually didn't know much about boys. And because of the parental influences and the segregated school systems, she had grown up terrified of boys. She did a interview to promote a new album, It Begins Again, where she says, To us, men were mysterious objects rather than people that you love and whom you feel comfortable with. I went for crushes rather than involvement. Hmm. She'd also recall that one time Mick Jagger and footballer George Best asked her out in 1960, and she had become so petrified that she declined and ran. (laughs) She ran away from Mick Jagger, huh? So she was uh, a plump girl with mousy hair, who had a square face and wore glasses. But she had a sense of humor and that seemed to be her saving grace, made her popular with the other girls. And above that sense of humor, she actually had an incredible singing voice. Not a shock. No, not a shock at all. And that seemed to bubble to the surface when she was 12 years old and she went to a local record shop and recorded an extraordinarily mature version of Erling Berlin's When the Midnight Cuckoo Leaves for Alabama. It was written in 1912 and it was actually featured in the 1940s film, The Easter Parade, which starred Fred Astaire and Judy Garland. So uh, Dusty always said that her voice was gravelly, but that song was nearly a parody of black music. Mary kept perfect pitch and rhythm the way she slurred her words, giving a hint of what was to come. She had the ability to reproduce the tone and the ambience of the Black American voices, and that would be something that always set her apart.
6: Now, it's interesting you mentioned that because I know there are a number, not a number, it's a small number of singers who have
3: perfect pitch.
6: Yes. I believe you said
3: Cindy, Cindy Lauper has one of perfect them. pitch. Yeah. yeah. But uh, who else has perfect pitch? T, we actually had a conversation about this. Who was that
6: Tammy Wynette? Uh, I don't know. I want to say it's Tammy Wynette, but I, I know it's Cindy Lauper. For
3: sure. Yeah,
6: Sydney Lopper. Yeah, she's has-
5: she's actually she, she's actually an extraordinary vocalist. Oh, she, yes. Really, yes. She,
6: yes. she really is.
3: Yeah, she's incredible. So Dusty's family was a music one, and they'd listen to Jelly Roll Morton, Ella Fitzgerald, Peggy Lee, classic music on the radio, like Gershwin and Rodgers and Hammerstein, Cole Porter, Glenn Miller. And her father encouraged her love of music. They would also play a game where he would tap out a beat to a song on the back of her hand and she would have to guess it. Okay, so here's where I say tap, but it's been rumored that it might have been a little harder than a tap. Oh boy. Dusty brushes it off by saying the nuns at the school had conditioned the back of her hand, if you know what I'm saying. Oh,
6: that's pretty, that's actually a heavy implication.
3: Yeah. Now, I told you there were a few cracks in the O'Brien's house, but her mother's eccentricities And her father's perfectionism seemed to have an effect on Dusty. She would later recall in her life that in her childhood, she would sometimes go and put her hands onto a boiler until they burned. Jeez. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. This seemed to be the only way that anybody in the house would take notice of her. So if she had injured herself, people would pay attention to her and that would give her positive reinforcement. Now we're going to actually. That's good. Yeah. We're actually going to see this a little bit later as well. Yeah. I have no recollection of warmness or affection, but my brother says he can remember my mommy bouncing me up and down, Dusty told You Magazine. I took whatever criticism there was to heart. Our house was full of raging ambivalence. None of us wanted to be there. Certainly, the O'Briens were not a happy couple. Obi had been a child in India growing up in the days of British Empire rule, and he had been uprooted and dispatched to boarding schools in England at a very young age and Kate was a first generation Irish English who had been uprooted from the southwest of Ireland and she had her children in her 30s. Kate wasn't very happy because she had her kids late she was married and she was expected to be a housewife and you know the fact that they were good Catholics (laughs) tells you divorce was not in the cards.
4: Yeah,
3: It was absolutely out of the question. Now By the time she was 17, Mary was working at Bentall's, uh, the large department store. that I don't think we'd have those here. I think it's only in the UK. I think that's only in the UK, Yeah. yeah. But boredom was always hovering. And each week, Dusty would search the ads in the paper to find any kind of job in music. So in 1955, she answered an ad in stage for a third member of a newly formed group. It was called the Lana Sisters, and she was invited to audition in London. Now, in those days, it wasn't actually unusual for somebody to break into the music industry just by answering an advertisement. I think that actually happened in our Keith Moon series. It's actually happened more than...
5: Uh, yeah, it's happened in a lot of instances um, that I can think of. Did, uh, didn't Elton John and Bernie Taupin both answer like a newspaper ad looking for singers and songwriters, and they just kind of got paired up? I yeah, see, I yeah. believe so.
6: There's- I think Metallica Look, also had a similar story.
5: There, yeah, we've had. I think we've covered a couple that I can that I can but, think of.
6: But we're going to need some weigh in from our audience here because I am still confused on which end of London is the dodgy end.
3: Okay, so at this point family acts are all the rage because they were like molding this wholesome image for the music industry and family acts hit the spot this is
6: the mid-50s right
3: yes so like you had the Everly brothers the Isley brothers mm-hmm. you had all these these family acts partridge family they come much later but like this idea of family acts were very wholesome and sold and so booking agents were very keen to present an all-female lineup, call them a sister act, whether they were related or not. <laughs> now, one of the biggest reasons that, that Dusty was actually hired for the Lama Sisters was because she had a deeper register and could fill out that sound that the other girls couldn't quite hit. She, could, she, hey. really rich. she made the, the harmonies really rich.
5: Little, little known fact, the Doobie Brothers were not related.
3: What?
6: what? Next, you're going to tell oh, me what Allman God.
3: Brothers weren't.
6: What?
5: Actually, they were, but... Well, um, Greg, Greg and Dwayne were. A couple, a couple the of them were. A yeah. few of them were, anyway.
3: Winter Sisters? I don't know. The they're, Okay, so when she got hired, there's only one moment of doubt from the creator, and I, I believe I'm going to call her Riss, because her real name is Iris. Mm-hmm. So Riss make, makes sense to me. I couldn't find it spoken anywhere, though I tried. A Riss had a habit of pointing her finger when she was talking. So Dusty had had her audition. She got the role in the, the Lana sisters and Dusty took her coat off and Riss was making a point And so she was pointing her finger. So Dusty just walked over and hung her coat on her finger and grinned and said, I did wonder then if I hadn't made a slight mistake, Riss said <laughs> laughing. So Dusty just like pulls like, Oh, I'm hired, pulls her coat off and just hangs it on Riss's finger. I like her because she is sassy.
6: It seems that way, yeah.
3: Now, it should be told that Dusty is somebody who constantly plays practical jokes on people. (laughs) Remember, I told you that her sense of humor was her saving grace, but sometimes it got her into trouble. Like when she would go on tour with people and instead of chanting, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Like a bored child. She'd actually fill up a brown paper bag with air and then bust it with her hand. (laughs) That's (laughs) subtle, I'd say. She's she's kind of a jerk and I love her for it. Uh, She actually learned a lot being in the Lana Sisters. She learned how to hold a stage and how to work with an audience and how to listen to other musicians with intuition. She learned how to not just become an entertainer but to become someone else Hmm. she cut her hair at that time to look more like the two other girls which is Riss and Lynn she got contact lenses to replace her glasses but you guys have to remember at this time the contact lenses were basically shards of glass that they would shove (laughs) into your eyeballs so that couldn't have been very comfortable but this is the first time she actually changes her name she changes her name from Mary to Shan possibly short for Shannon which is also a traditionally Irish name mm-hmm. but I actually couldn't find a particular reason for that change to from Mary to Shan mm-hmm. because that's not part of her name. Now these did, these girls did have plenty of success. They supported acts like Adam Face, Cliff Richards, Nat King Cole and Johnny Ray oh, and regularly appeared on Brian Matthews' morning radio program the Saturday Club or on early television pop shows like Drumbeat and Five Six 6.5 Special. And they toured the U.S. airbases across Europe.
4: Hmm.
3: So they also released several songs, one of which I'm about to play for you right now. Hmm. This is a version of the song, You Got What It Takes. So Marv Johnson did it. The Dave Clark Five did it. So a couple people have done it, but we're going to listen to the Lana Sisters. So here is... The Lana Sisters with You Got What It Takes.
7: You don't drive a big fast car.
4: You don't look
7: like a movie star. And I'm your money we won't get fucked. But baby, you've got what it takes. Yeah, yeah, to satisfy. You've got what it takes to set my soul.
3: You guys think about that
5: um very much a, a product of its time mm. yeah doo wop sounds vocals are really good yeah um you, you can you can hear the fact that she and those other girls could actually sing
3: oh yeah yeah and that was the thing they're great vocalists and they are beautiful and they were they were one of those sister acts that was just you know perfection and there's touring around the uk at this point yeah and that song you got what it takes actually became a top 10 hit in ireland in 1960 And they actually got to appear at the Royal Albert Hall twice uh, during their touring schedule. Nice. Yeah, which is massive. That's That's
5: Extremely, very, very prestigious. Very.
3: While the record gave Shan the first taste of fame, it wasn't exactly the kind of song she wanted to do. But of course, in those days, women performers tended to get a raw deal from the music publishers, and I don't think much has changed since then. Sadly, yes. (laughs) I think that's kind of across the board for most musicians. Uh Right? Yeah, I was going to say, no, pretty much everybody
5: gets screwed by them now. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah.
6: It's almost a rite of passage.
3: Yeah. Fun fact. Fun fact! Fun fact! Kay actually, so Kay, Dusty's mom, actually suggested to Riss that they change their name to the Twister Sisters. Hmm. And Riss actually said she wishes she had picked something better than Lana because she actually found that name in a phone book.
6: Lana! (laughs) Lana! Danger zone
3: halfway through her time with the sisters uh mary's brother dion had started a folk duo with his friend tim field when they wanted me to join i was flattered she said i was pleased she was much more drawn to the folksy and latin influence material that her brother was writing by the time she was 21 mary had left shan and the Lama sisters to join dion and tim can you imagine what they named their band the springfields terry webb and the spiders no get out of my apartment
0: (laughs) right from the eternal
3: triangle Mm. algebra (laughs) ranch oh, we've had so many good ones on this show right from the start the springfields benefited from the growing power of television in britain in 1961 it was apparent that the group's dynamic of having three with dusty in the middle was immediately successful because she had a rapport with the camera and you can see that in her her, um any any youtube clip that you look up with her she is incredibly charismatic Mm -hmm. and she is there to do a job and she is so good at it it loves her so it's at this time that dusty was going to begin to experience something that was going to be a problem for her, her entire life in early 1963 she was having an affair with a famous singer. Okay. Um, Wait a minute.
5: I thought I thought she ran away from like Mick Jagger and other people asking her on dates.
3: Didn't say who the singer was. Okay. Huh. But uh, she didn't really have what do you call it a normal kind of childhood because she would be working or playing in nightclubs with Tom growing up. She didn't really have a teenage life. Hmm. She didn't go to, you know, she didn't go to a normal, a traditional high school and have that experience. So she began to have a crisis of religion because of who she loved. She could no longer embrace the Catholic ideology because what she was doing was something that was affront to God mm. because now she is involved with a woman huh. and her sexual preference and what that means to her religion began to clash so dusty and the church parted company if you guys can't get what i'm dancing around she was gay yeah and it wasn't easy in the 1960s to be a female and be out
6: yeah i mean just in our last series we were talking about how uh it was one of whitney's was one of whitney's relatives that became an lgbtq icon um, and how you know what she was dealing with in the industry at that time which yes. is about the same time well maybe this is a little earlier but okay yeah.
5: but you said it was with a famous singer
3: yes but i could not, i could not actually find who that singer oh, they was tell you? they never told me what I read, I read two separate books on dusty and neither one of them mentioned who the singer was
6: does anyone know tell us we
3: want you to guys know because uh yeah i you know what though it doesn't matter Should
6: we just start
5: shouting guesses or just let you move on
3: let's move on <laughs> Okay, (laughs) moving on
6: hey ld gotta interrupt we do have some sponsors we have to give a moment to so let's take a little break and we
3: are back all right back to dusty the first recording contract the springfield signs was offered by producer johnny franz at phillips records in london i should say (laughs) Uh, I want to get the proper statistic, but I do believe Dusty will burn through about seven to ten different recording companies. (laughs) Like, she'll go on, like, a bunch of different labels. So we'll get there. They were at Phillips Records in London. With the success of their songs Breakaway and Bambino and numerous television appearances, the trio quickly became popular in the UK. And in 1961, they starred in their own 15-minute music TV series on the BBC, Called the Springfields. So I am actually going to play a song from them because I think it's hilarious. Called Weem Away. -away. Nope, not not that that one. one, Not that
6: one. No. Okay. That's
0: from my
6: mind.
0: went. Yeah. (laughs)
7: Hey yop boys, a wee moe, a a Yeah, da da
4: da da
7: da 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 move, move, Hoy mové, hoy mové, hey yapoy, hoy mové, hoy mové, hoy mové, hoy mové, hoy mové, hoy mové, hoy mové,
3: That was a Weem Away. I know it is more of a kitschy song, and that's why I wanted to play it, because it just, even when she is buried in the trio, her vocals on that are just, stand. They, they, they just stand out.
5: They really do. Yeah, I mean, kind of a silly throwaway song, but no matter what you, we've heard her sing so far, the vocals pop big time.
3: Yeah, because she does have that, like, gravelly voice, and it's just so damn cool. Like, I love her so much for that. I just, uh, the entire song, have that
6: image of kind of a I Love Lucy kind of vibe going. Yes. Yeah, like Ricky Ricardo in the club. That's what I envisioned with that.
3: Yeah. And again, it's one of those like kitschy songs that you guys know I'll like because what was it? Big Bad William is sweet. Big uh, Bad, Big bad, Big bad is Will William
6: is sweet. William Nile.
3: And then what was the one from, what were you like? Uncle Arthur and like, so like those kitschy songs that- uh, Uncle
6: Arthur is a masterpiece. How dare you! Oh,
3: boy. How dare you! It's like Cookie Puss.
6: <laughs> no, cookie oh
5: God,
3: Cookie Puss is terrible. Cookie Puss is punishment.
5: <laughs> that was the worst thing we've played ever.
3: <laughs> oh, that's hardly fair. I'm sure uh, we can go back to our archives and find
6: something worse than Cookie Puss.
3: I don't think so. <laughs> no, I think that's pretty much. I think that's it. Yep, you're it's two against one. <sighs> I'm sorry. Even you don't like that song. Uncle Arthur. In September 1962, their version of Silver Thread and Golden Needles reached number 20 on the Billboard Hot 100. And it was their first, it was the first single by a British group to reach the top 20 of the Hot 100s. Predating the Tornadoes' number one Telstar by two months and the Beatles' U.S. chart entry, by 16 months so they 16 months from the Beatles at this point yeah the record peaked at number 23 on the cash box charts and reached number one in Australia and that featured lead guitar by Judd Proctor Silver Thread and Golden Needles sold more than 1 million copies and is RIAA certified gold so right now I'm going to play Silver Thread and Golden Needles by the Springfields
7: I want a lonely mansion with a tear in every room. All I want's the love you promise beneath the haloed moon.
6: of people who've covered this it's just insane
5: that's it's it's, cra- uh, it's crazy the first one that comes to my mind is the trio which was linda ronstadt dolly parton and emily harris
6: yeah <laughs> i think the grateful dead did it too and uh L- loretta lynn i think no
5: mm-hmm. um, i bet if you googled it i'm seriously I, I bet it's been covered a thousand times
3: it, it clearly has just by this one search alone man it's banana. it also feels like a very caring carpenter song too that you could slow the tempo the, down. The
5: other, the one thing I'll say is, really okay, that's me. the
3: first, that's
5: the first, the first so far uh, we've heard her singing a song that's undeniably great. The song is great in mm-hmm. and of yep. itself. Yep. But even when she's got really great vocals to work with, voice that's all I hear.
6: hmm Yeah, she stands out.
3: She does, and uh, and she will continue because I, here's mm-hmm. the thing. You know how you're having a hard problem figuring out what Tom Petty songs you're gonna do? Oh yeah. Yeah, that same thing, because Dusty recorded almost 300 songs, and I'm pretty sure I've listened to all of them. (laughs) All the ones that were released, there are some that you just can't find. Like, some of them are just, they're just not available. But yeah, she's, undeniably, she's already shaping those vocals that are going to be with her for most of her life. Like, that's the, the very identifiable Dusty Springfield voice. Mm-hmm. So in December 1962, Island of Dreams debuted in the UK singles chart and it remained there for 26 weeks. Well, damn. Peaking at number five in its 16th week on the chart in early April 1963, five weeks before the Springfields follow-up hit, Say I Won't Be There would also peak at number five. So she'd have multiple songs on the chart with the Springfields. By this time the Springfields were one of the most popular groups in the UK. The group had several chart hits and had recorded several foreign language records. Oh, so, and that's not like an that's not going to be an unusual thing for Dusty. Wow. so in 19 19- so Now we're going Now we're
5: going to hear the Springfields and Lukukaracha <laughs>
3: <laughs> Actually, I do believe Dusty did do a version of Labamba. So, Did she really? Oh wow. Yeah. So in 1962, Tim Field left and was replaced by Mike Hurst. Tom had always said that he would give the group three years. And despite their success, he was adamant. And I think the reason why was there was always a mixture of arguments, compromise, and then finally agreement. The thing is, neither him nor Mike felt comfortable in the spotlight. So I think uh, that the Springfields were much more comfortable in the spotlight than Tim was.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: So, so in 1963... Dusty actually felt limited by the group's folk act and Tom leaving, or sorry, Tim leaving and Tom's lead role within the trio toward the end of 1963, she actually decided to leave for a solo career. Mm -hmm. So the whole thing just broke apart. So I think Mike stayed on for a little bit, uh, her brother stayed on, and then finally it just disbanded because she had left. But this is where I'm going to talk to you guys about a TV show. Okay. So even though toward the end of 1963, Dusty decided to leave her solo career, there was a TV show called Ready Steady Go or RSG. It was a British rock, pop, music TV program that came on every Friday evening from the 9th of August till uh 1963, till the 23rd of December 1966. Mm -hmm. This even predated, I believe, Top of the Pops.
6: Yeah, I would have to.
3: So it was conceived by Elkin Allen. I think that's how you say his name. Head of the Rediffusion TV. Allen wanted a light entertainment program different from the lowbrow style of light entertainment transmitted by the ATV. The program was produced without scenery or costumes and it had a minimum amount of choreography and makeup. So you just kind of came as you were and you did your singing and you got out. Hmm. OK, some of the best known presenters on the show were Keith Forsythe and Kathy McGowan. And then that's where our little Dusty comes in. The earliest shows were actually introduced by Dusty. She was one of the presenters. She was one of the presenters. And of course, the Springfields actually appeared on the show. They got together to do that. So the show started out every Friday evening with the line. The weekend starts here. And originally it was introduced by the song Wipeout. Out." Hmm. And then later by the song 54321 by Manfred Mann's Earth Band.
5: Yeah. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Our federally mandated Manfred Mann's Earth Band reference of the podcast
6: has been satisfied. <laughs> satisfied.
3: Um, I did not actually have to stretch that at all. Manfred Mann actually did do. Yeah, it happened organically. This, yeah. It happened completely organically. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. Wait, what? Does this does this Wikipedia page know who I am?
6: Within the past few episodes, <laughs> it's been like, this person who knew this person who used to manage this person
3: who no. knew Manfred Mann's band. No, literally, yeah. she presented the show, and Manfred Mann did the theme song. Amazing. That's and great. Yes. So, and then actually, funny enough, they did another version of the song, a, a, a different song for the intro as well. So they did two of the three intros for the show that I could find. Who Who, who did? Manfred Mann. Ah! <laughs>
4: it's like the
3: secret <laughs> word. Oh, ah! um, that was somebody that we forgot to point out that had passed away. Wait, who
6: passed away?
3: John B. That's right. Yes, the beloved genie
6: from Pee-wee's Playhouse.
5: You know, he was what, in the Groundlings? He was a very prolific writer. He wrote a lot of Pee-wee's Playhouse, director and stuff. And of course, he popularized the phrase. Mekalekahi like ho. like uh
3: John high. Paragon.
5: Mekalekahi like Mekachaniho. Polo Mekachala Mecamola Malahe.
3: You know, he could do this all day, right? It's, I believe it. It's his name was John Paragon. But so. he oddly died like in April.
5: And like nobody somehow knew about it until last week. We yeah, just, it got
3: it got overlooked. That sucks. Because that's like a part of our childhood. Oh yeah. Yes. He is a native and from, again,
5: from everything I read, I was not super familiar with him, but from everything I read, like really super talented guy. yeah,
3: oh, yeah, to be he wasn't just a he wasn't
5: just a head in a box. He was no. an actor and a writer and director and a lot of stuff.
3: Well, that makes sense that he would be in the groundlings, though, because that's where Paul Rubens got his start as well. So some of the funniest people in the world have come out of the groundlings funny enough. I actually went to the groundlings. I was in the groundlings School of comedy. And I decided that it was too expensive on a barista's pay to uh, continue my teachings. Jennifer Coleman, so Jennifer, right? some some of the most incredible people though, like half the cast of SNL. It, yeah,
5: and how? And 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 this—it's just strange that we're—it just dawned on me we're going to have two straight series where we're going to get a Paul Rubens reference because <laughs> i'll have one when uh when i, I tee up my next series oddly
4: <laughs> ladies and
6: gentlemen our paul rubens reference
4: of the podcast <laughs>
6: will be satisfied please
3: don't please don't put those two words I together say, i said that
5: I told yeah you. that's that's uh, okay yeah that's really creepy if you, uh, baby. Uh,
3: uh, sorry we'll go back to my mead yeah <laughs> drink your juice shelby it's tasty <laughs> so dusty loved the american acts especially the voices of motown and she was influenced by people like Mary Wells and Martha and the Vandellas. And you can absolutely hear that in her later stuff. 100%. Yeah. So Dusty actually loved Motown so much that she devised and introduced the Ready, Set, Go Motown special in April of 1965. It featured the Supremes, Stevie Wonder, and the Miracles, Martha and the Vandellas. And there is a videotape from the 1980s where they performed in the name of love dancer team for the first time on that show the miracles closed that show with their hit mickey's monkey do you guys know that song i don't
6: know if i do it's,
5: it's my least favorite uh song by Smokey, but yes i do know it
3: yeah it's it's yeah it's not a, it's not a great song <laughs> <laughs>
5: no, it's, it kind of it, it sucks
6: but as <laughs> <but laughs> dj would say after that string of disappointments
3: <laughs> yeah <laughs> right <laughs> but that's the thing but but it didn't do well this special did not do well because no one knew what motown was in britain at this Mm. time introducing them to a completely new sound and nobody's ready for it no one was ready for it but she she, that was her brainchild to bring all those acts together like i told you guys she's a boss As recounted in the new book, Ready, Steady, Go, The Weekend Starts Here, the definitive story of how that show changed pop TV by Andy Neal. The energetic and fast-paced 45 minutes special vaulted the Motown's visibility across the pond into global status that is possible even more revered than in the U.S. So while the special didn't do that great, it opened up people's eyes to Motown. So she helped. And what what year are we speaking of here? 1965. 65, okay. The Sound of Motown was a passion project for all the concerns, and that remains one of the most popular episodes in retrospect in Ready, Steady, Go history. Motown artists performed on the program prior to the special, starting with Little Stevie Wonder, during December of 1963, and because of her enthusiasm, she actually converted the producer, Vicki Wickham, into a fan. Hmm. So the pro- she actually turned Vicki Wickham, who was like, I don't know what this music is. She turned her into a fan. Dusty on her trips to America would call Vicky up and play songs for, to her on the phone, which was really expensive back then.
6: Yeah, that's not going to be cheap. No, call, like, from the states over to the UK.
3: Yeah, in, on a crude phone system. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she she was very admiring of all the black acts, which we didn't give very much of in England because they weren't on the charts here.
4: Well, if you think
6: about it, I mean, go back to, you know, early Rolling Stones. I can't help but think they borrowed from a lot of these acts. I mean, think about it. Oh, yeah. Fully agree. Well, they were
5: they were very heavily influenced by American blues acts, for sure.
6: Right, right.
5: The Stones would have probably been breaking out about the time that Motown became a thing that was even known. But, yeah, they were certainly listening to American blues artists. There's no no question about that.
3: Sure, yeah. Yeah. But, again, we've talked about this, like, tit for tat. Like, British to American, American to British, and back and forth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think this is, it's America's turn to invade Britain. And then they're going to come back. And then they're going to come yeah. back
4: with the Rolling Stones. Here's Center.
3: Eric Clapton. Well, the, well they're, yeah. gonna, they're about to give us the Beatles. Yeah, they have. So, you know, there it is again. Oh, uh, fun, fun fact. Fun fact! Fun fact! Dusty actually got her very first marijuana joint. From the Temptations David Ruffin Ooh. when the group arrived in the UK. Do you see what I'm doing? Yes. Are you clutching I'm your pearls? Clutching my pearls? Yes. Apparently, it was referred to as a natural progression. <laughs>
5: <laughs> and this, um, would, this would be a two out of the last three series for Dave Ruffin has come up. We had lots of Ruffins mentioned during the Rick James uh, episode. Yeah, oh. Levi yes. Ruffin. Dave, <laughs> Levi, Jimmy.
3: Jim Ruffin, yeah. So it was filmed on March 18th. The sound of Motown featured acts performing their biggest hits. And Dusty actually joined Martha Reeves and the Bandelas, well, well, Martha, on a duet of Wishing and Hoping, which later on she'll record herself. Uh, the show finished with an exuberant full cast rendition of The Miracles. Mickey's Monkey, which is not my brother's favorite song. <laughs> I,
5: I'm going to guess. I'm going to take a stab here and say that Dusty Springfield and Martha Reeves singing uh, "Wishing and Hoping" probably didn't suck. Yeah. yeah,
3: chances are it was just good to be on the show. Reeves said later, "It was amazing how great it went and how well it was received. They loved and embraced us and allowed us to be seen."
5: Just just to kick back to this a second, there were probably not a ton of televised venues in the United States where African American artists could have been seen then. Yeah. I'm going to say none at this point. I'm going to say, like, I, I, what Maybe. year did the bandstand start? Yeah, that's about it, though. I, that would have been the, about the only one where they would have got much attention. So they probably got a warmer reception there than they did at home. Possible. In that, yeah. in that respect. At, at at that particular time. That would change very quickly. But I, I, I'm just saying in 1965.
4: Yeah.
3: So, on October 4th of 1963, Dusty undertook her first solo engagement and hosted Ready, Steady, Go. The previous week, she appeared on the show with the Springfields. And later that week, on the 6th, they made their final farewell appearance on ATV's Sunday Night at the London Palladium. So, at that point, they're officially done in 1963. On October 21st, Dusty flew to Berlin to perform at a charity concert for the Army Benevolent Fund. Just a... A nice little side thing. She's doing charity work. Side thing. Okay. Side thing now. Now, November 8th, 1963 is an extremely important day for the history of Dusty Springfield. It is her first solo single, I Only Want to Be With You, was released on that day. It was co-written and arranged by Ivor Ray Monday. I'm probably butchering that name. There's a lot of letters in it. The record was produced by Johnny Franz in a manner similar to Phil Spector's Wall of Sound. You guys will be able to hear that.
4: Sure.
3: And included rhythm and blues features such as horn section, backing singers, double tracked vocals, along with strings. Recalling Springfield's influences such as the exciters, which when I read that, I was like, oh my God, you're right. Like the exciters, tell him. Tell him, then. You're never going to leave him oh. Yeah, you're going to hear that in the song. And the Chirrells. In January 1964, the single pinked at number four in the UK charts. Then a lengthy 18-week run. In December 1963, New York disc jockey Danny, Dandy Dan Daniels. Daniel of the WMCA. Not Don't a- run, everybody. It's Danny Dan Daniels in the morning. I don't know why that works, but it does. It totally works. Nominated the single as a sure shot pick of records, not yet charted, preceding Beatlemania. The single debuted on Billboard's Hot 100 chart on January the 25th, a week after the the debut of the Beatles' first hit, I Want to Hold Your Hand. Hmm. And in the same week of the debut of She Loves You, positioning Springfield at the forefront of the British invasion. By a week. By a week. Right. She led the charge. I Only Want to Be With You peaked at number 12 during its 10-week run and ranked 48 in the year-end top 100 of New York radio station WABC. WABC. W-A-B-C. W-A-B-C. The BBC's 1964 to 2006 weekly chart-based music program, Top of the Pops, debuted on January 1, 1964, with I Only Want to Be With You as the show's kickoff record do you guys understand how big that is top of the pops debuted with her song she was the first female solo act to be on top of the pops was she really and she wouldn't even know that until somebody brought it up years later wow like guys dusty is i've got so much hero worship for her (laughs) like she is awesome now the single was certified gold in the uk and its b-side once upon a time was actually written by dusty so she wrote it yeah so right now she didn't write i only want to be with you she actually co-wrote it so right now we're gonna listen to one of my favorite dusty springfield songs i know i say that a lot (laughs) but in this one get used to it kids because she is awesome this is dusty springfield i only want to be with you And that was the world's first true introduction to dusty springfield
6: now i remember when ld you were doing the research on this i think i walked in the room and you were playing this and I, I had no idea that was dusty springfield yes not a
3: clue yes and there are going to be more vocal surprises along the way because trust me you will go on a ride
6: <laughs> and i'm pretty sure you're going to play the songs that we know by her oh yes. and enjoy but yes. that was one that totally came out of left field just right in the noggin yes.
3: And also that's one of those ones where I have my own personal misheard lyric, kind of like another one bites the dust. Yeah, I think in another one bites the dust, Freddie actually says I'm adopted at one point, but this one, she says something and it sounds like now hear me toenail.
6: Hear me, toenail. Yeah, <laughs>
3: I'm like I don't think that's right.
6: My that's probably movie. not the lyric. Yeah, probably not. My favorite one goes back to our previous series on Whitney, where my younger sister would say, "It's I want to dance with somebody. I want to feel the peeps with somebody." Oh, peeps! A little a little marshmallow. Yeah.
5: <laughs> Disgusting! Disgust! The, the most the nastiest Easter treat that there is. Uh,
4: mother, is
3: wretched. mother loves it. Our mom loves peeps.
6: I think people like the idea of peeps more than they actually like peeps. Mm.
3: It's the same thing with Twinkies. I don't, I don't understand. The appeal. I will not eat them. <laughs> nothing Plus game. like little, let's, let's face it. Little Debbie is the superior snack cake. I'm well,
5: sorry. Twinkies have never offended me. I mean, I don't seek them out to get them. If I was offered one, I'd, I mean, I'd probably eat it. They're not gross or anything, but uh, yeah, peeps are, they're really, really nasty. Peeps I don't get right. those at all.
3: Yeah. See, although I am a proponent of candy corn, I love candy corn. I don't in know small why. in
5: in small amounts, it's fine. You know yes, those sir. little
3: tiny bags that they give you. That's got like six of them. That's like it has
5: like six product. pieces in like in like shrink wrap cellophane or something. Yeah, that's
3: it. That is perfect. That's the exact amount you should eat. <laughs> All right. So uh, just a little bit of a fun fact. Fun but facts. Little bit of a fun fact. Yes, mm-hmm. she perfect. she has. You know, you guys have seen her work ethic, and so you know that she works really hard. But well, she actually did take a little bit of a break while she was filming to hop over to Paris to see Little Stevie Wonder at the Olympia on December 14th or 15th of 1963. Did
6: you just combine Little Stevie and Stevie Wonder? Because that would be amazing.
3: No, Little Stevie Wonder's, that's what you call him. I know. I just think I'm picturing Little Stevie. Oh, are you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm like, <laughs> I'm no, sorry. It's my upbringing. You called, they called yeah. him Little Stevie Wonder before he was no, no longer but that's Little That's where my brain goes. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Which, haven't I worked with Little Stevie? You met him. Why and did I, I went berserk and you were like, Who is this guy? Why did I why What's did I work it? with him? You were on the Sopranos. Oh, you were on the
5: Sopranos, supposedly. I never saw you there, but you
3: <laughs> Yes. Well, you don't even know what HBO is. And she's man. like, there was this guy.
5: I've the seen the sopranos. I'm
3: like, and I'm like, what? You met him? And she's like, Who is that? He's wearing a hat. I've got some work. He's in the East
6: Street band (laughs) Ah, good gravy. Yeah, but that's
3: Bruce Springsteen. You guys know I prefer John Cougar Mellencamp over Don't,
6: don't know. Don't you dare. I I will call an attorney right now.
3: I love Bon Jovi. Yeah,
5: Johnny johnny Cougar is vastly superior. I would agree.
6: (laughs)
3: Who who are you, people? You married into this family. Uh, I I chose this life. This is a ruse. So at this point, you guys have to remember that Dusty hasn't released an album of her own yet. Now, she has released some tracks with the Lana Sisters and with the Springfields, and she's made TV appearances under both of those acts and now on her own. But but somehow, even though she hasn't released an album on her own yet, miraculously, on December 20th, 1963, the NME poll results were published. Now, do you guys know what NME is? I do not.
5: T. Uh yeah, it's a music publication that's short for I think New Musical Express. Okay. I didn't, I didn't realize it was that old. Hmm. To be honest with you, but
3: yeah. Well, they they published this list and she made world female singer and she got that in 6th place. She was British female singer, 2nd place and uh just as a reference kathy kirby actually came in first she was voted for british vocal personality in 11th place new disc or tv singer which for some reason is in the same category third place um and then the springfields were voted 14th as the world vocal group category and fifth in the british vocal category Hmm so not too shabby yeah not at all. and this this is just her appearing this stuff is just her appearing on tv and what she's done with the lana sisters in the springfields so that's that's all based on her so because like, imagine the name recognition for her coming in to as high as second place on the enemy poll. i'm still really right.
6: from her appearance on top of the pops being the first woman to do so
3: yeah so um it's um it's i told you guys buckle up because it's gonna <laughs> be a ride in January of 1963, Dusty actually got to meet the Ronettes at the Granada Haro on the first night of their supporting tour with the Rolling Stones. Huh. So she is getting in deep with musical acts. Is this
6: when Jagger asked her out and it, she declined? It, it
3: might have been, actually. I don't know. I don't know because I think it, she said in 1963 for some reason, but it doesn't matter. It's either awkward now or it was awkward then. Either it way, awkward. it was awkward. <laughs> Springfield's debut solo album A Girl Called Dusty featured mostly covers of her favorite songs and that was released on the 17th of April 1964 in the UK but not in America it hasn't been released yet Hmm. tracks include Mama Said uh When the Love Light Shines Through His Eyes a great song by Leslie Gore called You Don't Own Me and 24 Hours from Tulsa the album reached number six in the UK and that the one of only two of her top 10 non-hit albums. Following I Only Want to Be With You, Springfield charted five more singles with Stay A While, Something Special written by Springfield, later described as a first-rate Springfield original by AllMusic. Springfield was quoted as saying, I don't really see myself as a songwriter. I really don't like writing. I just don't get any good ideas, and the ones I do are pitched from other records. The only reason why I write is for the money. <laughs> it's not a bad reason. <laughs> yep. The highest charting of Springfield's 1964 release was were both Burt Baccarat, Hal David songs, which are Wishing and Hoping," mm-hmm. a U.S. number six hit, which was featured on A Girl Called Dusty, and I Just Don't Know What To Do With Myself, which oh, is I love, a such a good song. Did you know that was by Dusty?
6: I had no idea. I've heard numerous versions of it. No. And also, Wish and Hopin' was covered by Anne DeFranco.
4: Anne isn't DeFranco yeah. in
3: one of my favorite movies of all time, yeah. My Best Friend's Wedding. So I Just Don't Know What To Do With Myself peaked at number three on the UK charts. Behind the Beatles, A Hard Day's Night, and The Rolling Stones, It's All Over Now. You know, if it wasn't for those two, she'd be number one. Yeah. I mean, who else who else did the same thing? It was like well somebody knocked Whitney off, or some Prince? Prince, yeah, Prince had kept someone from moving to number one. Yeah, you said
6: that right, T. Train?
3: Was that you, T.?
5: I think so. yeah, we've we've had a couple of those. I've, I'm sorry, it just dawned on me. Thriller kept nineteen eighty four at, yeah, at cool. no at number two for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. It,
3: kept, uh, that, it kept that, that
5: was the that was one of the recent <laughs> ones that we that we had
3: that's right thank you that's right thank you uh so that song i just don't know what to do with myself would actually set a standard for a lot of her later material and i think you'll hear that thematically throughout all the songs that i play now in the autumn of 1964 springfield faked at 41 in the states with all cried out but her native britain she hit it big with losing you which reached number nine in december the same month in which the singer's tour of South Africa with her group, The Echoes, was terminated following a, let's say, controversial performance before an integrated audience at a theater near Cape Town. This is where we get into boss material. In defiance of the government's segregation policy, Springfield was deported. She got thrown out? Yes. Ha! So, okay, so they're saying, okay, so she says she's deported. The country says, no, she left on her own accord. But basically, her contract uh, specifically excluded segregated performances, making her one of the first British artists to do so. Now, there's a loophole in the contracts that Dusty was kind of uh, exploiting. Now, appearing before segregated audiences in South Africa was acceptable for musicians, Until
4: 1964.
3: Hmm. Dusty insisted on the inclusion of a no apartheid clause in her contract.
6: I've
3: got a special clause written into the contract which stipulates that I can only play to non-segregated audiences. This is my little bit of help to the colored people there. I think I'm the first British artist to do this. Brian Poole and the Tremlows were supposed to do the same, but I believe in the end they had to play some segregated concerts. If they force me to do anything like that, I'll be on the first plane home.
4: Hmm. Which well, I so,
3: remember
6: Whitney had the same thing in her contract.
5: Yeah. And um, uh, interestingly, uh, a notable artist from South Africa, you, and, no wonder off the top of your head, Manfred Mann's
3: Earth Band.
5: <laughs> well, Manfred Mann is, I think. He, he
3: is from South Africa. I yeah. actually just opened the door for him to walk through it. I actually knew because. Do you know how many times I've Googled Manford Man's Earth bands?
6: Ladies and gentlemen, our second Manfred Man's
3: I'm not Earth doing Band an air horn. reference of the podcast. There's not gonna be an air horn on this one.
6: Okay.
5: That was a good sketchy ending there, Will. Good job.
6: Brian, I'm, I'm taking notes from you. Very creepy. Well, we're
5: well, very well played. So,
6: continue.
3: So how this would work is she would send one of her bandmates out to peek through the curtain to see if she could see any black people in the audience. If there weren't any, he would go to Dusty and tell her. She would then refuse to play.
6: Oh, so this is real time. This isn't like, I'm not playing this venue. Yes. Yeah. This is like, I'm ready to go on.
3: Yes. Oh my. And so she would just like go to the management and refuse to play. And then the bandmate would again look outside and all of a sudden there would be several black faces in the crowd. Weird, huh. right? How
6: does that happen?
3: She held her first two concerts for non-segregated audiences. Before the third one in Cape Town, however, she was taken to a hotel by the police and then deported from South Africa. So, like, they actually put police outside the hotel to make sure that she got on a plane and left. Now, here's the thing. She was deported. Her band was not. (laughs) I don't know if it's because of that or that was one of the tipping points, but they disbanded.
6: Also, deportation, I mean you have to get government involvement on that that that's as they say comes a little higher up the ladder it's not just local police yeah i mean they'll they'll carry out the the order but still that's uh that's rattling a few cages higher on the chain there
3: yeah her manager dick billings said that the police arrived just before our second show they took us to the hotel took our passports and said we're gonna have to work uh we're gonna have to sort out your work permit they came back the next day and said that we could continue but only if we played to segregated obvi- uh, audiences. They gave us 24 hours to stay in Africa, which was tantamount to deportation. It got very nasty. Dusty was very upset. We were scared and marooned in the hotel for three days. We were not allowed to make calls, home to London, and we were surrounded by people who were alien and opposed to us. Wow. So think about that. She had to stay in a hotel, unable to make any phone calls for three days, and then was put on a plane. And
6: <coughs> shuffled out of Africa.
3: And if you guys know, like exactly. in the 60s, the pop stars weren't supposed to have a public conscience. And even now, people are like, well, why don't you just shut up and be in movies? I think it's,
6: I will say, I think it's less now, but then it was like, this is your contract. That's yeah, well, it, it, yeah, it there's no argument. Less
5: then, considerably less then, in that it just wasn't a thing anybody did. Partly. Exactly. It wasn't even a like, public conscience. Almost nobody.
3: Yeah. Yeah
5: i mean i guess well 60, if we're, we're in the getting in the mid late 60s by now okay dylan and folks like that i'm yeah. sure but not that's not it's very few that would even attempt to
3: yeah yeah so when dusty returned to britain 15 members of the house of commons signed a motion and by doing so supported her standing up springfield donated her fee to black south african charities and she was so disgusted that she didn't want a penny of her salary So she gave up her money, donated it to charity. I mean, come on, like... Got
6: deported. Got deported
3: (laughs) because of her beliefs. Mm
6: -hmm.
3: Now, in 1980, the United Nations passed the Resolution 35-206, which supports an official cultural boycott. There's not always been such widespread support. The history of boycott, ironically, began with its actions of an insecure white covenant girl from Hampstead, (laughs) i.e. Dusty Springfield. Wow. So she is, to some, credited with spearheading the opening up of people's eyes to what was happening in South Africa.
6: And if you also think of the time period in the States, what was happening at that point. I mean, the civil
3: rights movement. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it was kind of again yeah. like crest of that wave. Stonewall and yeah. everything is happening. Yeah. So now it should be stated that throughout this time, Dusty actually has ongoing issues with her health that will plague her for pretty much the rest of her life. She was slated to be on a Dutch TV show that I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce the name of because that is far too many letters, uh, both consonants and vowels. No, I didn't. Ooh, even... beauty,
6: herdy, beauty. Yeah, that, I didn't... that one. How'd you, how'd
3: I you guess? Not even. I am so sorry to the people of Dutch.
6: <laughs> you mean the movie with uh,
3: Ed O'Neill? Yeah. <laughs> Or oh, the character and predator where are we uh, going with this? so sorry guys it is already like for my brother it is midnight for us it is nine i'm hungry and, and i'm tired and i cannot speak the dutch but she she had a sore throat and so she actually had to mime the songs i only want to be with you in once upon a time january 14th came around and it was reported that dusty was now under a doctor's orders to rest However, she was able to finish recording her appearance the next day of the Norman Vaughn television show. And on a January 16th engagement at Liverpool's, Lucarna was canceled due to the flu and nervous exhaustion. So she got sick, tried to push through, got even sicker and had to cancel. Nice. She also had to cancel um, stuff on January the 17th. Her engagement at the Nielsen Imperial that was canceled, and her January 18th engagement and her January 19th engagement. But she actually did appear at Maidstone on the 22nd, so that's still a good stretch from the 14th to the 22nd of having to cancel shows. Hmm. But also, think about it she had multiple shows to cancel in that eight day period. A lot going on there. A few days later, she appeared at a charity show at the Royal Albert Hall with the Rolling Stones, the Swinging Blue Jeans, and Brian Poole, and she sang songs associated with Brenda Lee and Peggy Lee. It was a Lee kind of day. And Peggy. It seems like this is the first time it appears anywhere, but a press reports that the previous day, which would be uh, at the time of press, February 23rd, 1963, that Dusty returns to find Eden Kane awaiting for her in her dressing room at the Fairfield Halls. Now this is the first thing that fuels rumors of a romance. This is, not the, this is certainly not the last time Dusty's name is going to be synonymous with a lesbian relationship. In fact, we get much more of a rocky road later down her timeline. We will get there, but this is where we're going to leave the story for now. What I'm going to leave you off with in this episode is the next song of Dusty's to be released on May 17th of 1964. It was written by Hal David and Burt Bacharach, which was a top 10 hit for Dusty in 1964. The song was first recorded by someone that we literally just talked about, (laughs) Dionne Warwick, in the fall of 1962, and was the B-side of her single, The Empty Place. Dusty had heard... Warwick's album and recorded Wishing and Hoping in January of 1964 at Olympic Studios. Now, in February 1964, Springfield met with Burt Baccarat. She will be associated with him for several songs. She met with him in New York City to listen to other songs to consider recording. Baccarat recalls at this time, I tried to talk her into releasing Wishing and Hoping because she had some ambivalence about it. A New York disc jockey. Jack Lacey began to play Wishing and Hope and following some encouragement from David and Backrat. <laughs>
4: like,
3: can you imagine that conversation? You're a DJ in New York and Bert Backrats, like, hey, you should play the song. And he's like, mm. Your answer is yes. You play the song. Look, like, I'll do whatever Bert tells me. <laughs> so it was issued as a single in May 1964, and it broke nationally that June, entering the top 10 in July. To peak at number six on the Billboard Hot 100, and number four on the Easy Listening and Cash Box, and it also got to number one on the American Bandstand Top 10 in 1964. The release of Wish and Hopin had a concurrent U.S.-U.K. release for Springfield, and uh, it was precluded by the presence of the U.K. charts by her single, I Just Don't Know What to Do With Myself. And I really struggle with whether or not to play that song or not because that is such a good mm-hmm. song. But all of Dusty's songs are am- amazing. So, I mean, but uh, that was also another Burt Backrat song. Um, and he also pitched that to her when they met in New York City. Oh, wow! Springfield recorded foreign language versions of Wishing and Hoping in Italian as Stupido, Stupido, which was a combination of lyrics in Italian and English latter being newly written and taken from the original song and she recorded it in germany as wishing hoping was also a single hit for springfield in australia where it hit number two new zealand it hit number three south africa funny enough hit number two and Canada. W-
5: yes uh, and down under it was uh it went by a slightly different name called
3: wishing and hoping mate i'm so sorry to the people of australia
6: <laughs> we have like two listeners there and we lost them both
3: yeah. <laughs> so we're gonna say goodbye right now uh first of all our socials if you think we're doing a really good job and you want to throw some coins in our tip jar you can do that at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven you can find us on twitter at rock and roll lt our instagrams rock and roll heaven lt facebook rock and roll heaven pod still not saying our website and you can email us at rock and roll at gmail.com if i said those too fast they will be in the episode description below and please make sure to check out all the other awesome pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com. so for all of us here at rock and roll heaven to all of you guys out there have a good night be good and good night bye buddy all right so for all our talks i'm actually going to end this episode with a gorgeous song by Dusty. This is Wishing and Hoping.
4: Wishing
0: and hoping and thinking and praying, planning and dreaming each night of his charm. Show 'em that you care.